We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream Golf Podcast is brought to you by Run Pure Sports. Another incredible week of golf in the Discord. We all cashed on a little Wyndham Clark 90 to 1. If you want to join the best community with the best tools, best projections, best ownership, just cast of characters tilting in the chat, everything from myself, Wiley, Big T, all of the smartest and funniest minds in the industry, all of my closest friends and favorite people to talk golf with 24 7, Kobe, Kyle, my whole crew. We have a lot of fun over there. And uh, we believe we have the best information in terms of our ability to analyze data, analyze architecture, caddy info, analyze the market the best, destroy the matchup markets. We're up 43 units since the start of the fall swing. All documented. The results speak for themselves. So head on over to runpeersports.com. Give it a shot for a week. Let us prove it to you. You can select the golf only option. Type in code Andy for that 15% off discount, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast, first-time guest, Jason Sobel, Action Network. I've DM'd with him a little bit in the past. Great to have someone new on the podcast. We talk a lot, Pebble Beach, uh, live my Cobra recap, the state of golf gambling, uh, whether or not live will embrace gambling and data more. What should we do about the official world golf rankings? Plus Phoenix open betting board, general golf stuff, general betting stuff. It is a great conversation. So without further ado, let's bring on Jason. All right. Jason Sobel is here. Action network. First time on the podcast. I've wanted to have you on for a while. We've, we've talked a little bit in the past, mainly because we're in, we're in the same fantasy league, the same season-long fantasy league. I actually think we're playing each other. You're the Orlando Kingsman, right? I am, yeah. I think we're playing each other this week. We got a oh, battle. Perfect. We got a battle. Perfect week to be on that. I, okay, <laughs> before we get too far, first of all, thanks for having me on, Andy. I appreciate you having me. Secondly, uh, we have made some changes to the fantasy league this year. We have. And what I mean by that is uh, instead of a a – not simplistic point system that was being used previously that you really had to kind of tally up and figure out what we're doing. Now we're just using uh, essentially the, the money earned each week, but you could have four guys who play really well. You have four guys who are in the top 12 this week. I have the guy who wins 
I'm going to make more money than your team's going to make. I'm not sure I love it. I can't figure out whether I like it either. The other question I was going to ask you about was, and maybe I'm bitter because I got, I had the last pick in the draft. And so I had a bit of a weird spot in the draft order. So I don't really have any superstars. Although you could make the case that Justin Thomas was a steal yeah. and is about to be yeah. back on that level. Yes. But I feel like my team's really deep and I feel good about my depth. We all, How do you feel about the fact that it's only four guys every week too? I don't know if I, I probably didn't read the fine print on that, but now it's only four guys every single week, which I think there's some, some pros and cons to that as well. I completely agree. Your, your roster doesn't need to be as deep. I went for guys. I, I kind of read the fine print. Doesn't mean you can necessarily find anyone. There's eight people in the league and everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone works in the industry. So you're not going <laughs> to like uncover some guy in the ninth round that nobody knows about. I tried to find some high upside guys, though. I tried to find a couple of guys that like I can throw them in for a non-signature event. And yeah, they might miss the cut, but they have a chance of winning. They have some win equity up there. So I've got a few of those guys. But then again, if that's number five on the roster, and I've got four semis, I won't call them superstars, but semi-superstars, big name players. I'm probably not putting the high upside guy even in the lineup to start with because we only have a third of the team that's playing each week. So I don't know. I'm with you. I don't really know kind of what to make of it yet. I'm not really sure what the greatest strategy is, but I'm three and one. I'm three and one through four weeks. That's good, right? You're, you're three and one. And I had a killer Xander WD this morning for me. Ooh. I was I was getting ready to roll out like a Hideki, Xander, JT, maybe Corey Connors for the last spot. And now no, now no Xander either, which JT is going to win. JT is going to win and you're going to beat me. So I can have four guys in the top 12, you know, just the, the comparison I was just making. JT is going to win this week and, and you're going to beat me. It's it's uh, it's already written. Well, we'll we'll get to JT later because I I think I agree. Oh, I thought that was the end of the pod. I thought, you know, I made my pick. (laughs) No, I want to talk to you a little bit about Pebble first because you were there. I was in Northern California too. I was about a little northeastern, northeast, an hour northeast, and then my girlfriend's in medical school in Davis, California, And, and so I was visiting her up up that weekend, last weekend, and. I mean, we didn't have any power on Saturday in Davis, which is more inland than the coast, like I mentioned. Gale Force winds, roads were closed. I mean, you were there all week. What was the experience like being there on a week where so much was up in the air with weather? And I have a lot of questions about the whole thing hand got handled, which we can get into. So, Full disclosure, I left Thursday night. I took a red eye home to Florida on Thursday night. That was always the plan, though. That Smart wasn't man. like a, <laughs> I, I was coming back Monday and ooh, the weather looks bad. I'm gonna leave early. That was like I booked it three weeks ahead of time, not knowing what the weather was gonna be. That was just the plan. I was there for Sirius XM doing a few radio shows earlier in the week and then just stayed for the first round because I could. I could either go back first thing Thursday morning or take the red eye back Thursday night. And I wanted to get out there and see some golf on Thursday. So I stayed for the whole day, but yeah, so I, I wasn't there for the really bad weather, wasn't there for, uh, like you said, power going out and debris all over the streets. At some point, Andy, and I, I get that there are questions right now. I think my biggest question was why on Sunday evening they decided to call it at that right. point. Where It could have been Sunday morning, it could have been Monday morning, but it was like this weird sort of nebulous time for them to just say, 
all right, you know what? That's enough. We're we're gonna uh, call the tournament now. That said, and I saw a lot of social media talk about this over the last few days, but I at some point leave it to the people whose job it is to run golf tournaments and work with the PGA tour and figure these things out. I know in today's world, everyone thinks they're smarter than everybody else. And everyone wants to go. Uh, why would they do that? They've got to play on Tuesday or they've got to figure this out. Everyone wants to, you know, sound like they know more. I, I will leave it in the hands with the folks that do this on a weekly basis and understand things. And I, I haven't heard a great explanation for some of it, but I know that, I mean, it was, the ground was saturated out there when I was there walking around Wednesday and Thursday. I can only yeah. imagine how wet it is now. And I think it became a safety issue with, uh, without power in, in some places around there and power lines down in the streets and things like that. I just think that um, it, it wasn't quite worth it for them. I was hoping though, that they would do the same thing they did back in 98, which is play a few rounds, weather delay, and then come back in August which I really would have enjoyed the PGA Tour telling 80 players like, hey, uh, let's do a random Monday in August before the playoffs and you guys have to come back here. Well, I, I think it was a bit telling that there was a shelter-in-place warning in the city of Carmel before they called the actual tournament. So I think as soon as like the mayor of Carmel said, don't leave your homes, I think it was a pretty safe bet that we weren't going to get any golf on Sunday, which I think is unfortunate. And, and I talked about this a little bit in the podcast I did before the tournament. But in my opinion, Pebble Beach is maybe the biggest asset, Pebble Beach, Riviera, Memorial, maybe the biggest, I guess, TPC Sawgrass as well, absolutely deserves to be in that category, but probably the biggest asset that the PGA Tour has in their arsenal, right? And I think in this day where everyone is so hyper-focused on competition and comparing with to the PGA tour and every single thing that happens in golf nowadays has to be viewed through the microcosm of, was this a win for the PGA tour or a win for Lev? I just think not getting a full tournament at Pebble beach when you had Ludwig, potentially his coming out party, Scotty Scheffler in the mix as well was just a, a net loss for for golf fans and now maybe live was the beneficiary maybe live fans were the beneficiary of that and that's a different discussion but i think that the concept of get all the best players to pebble beach was long overdue and i hope we continue to get that in the future think about what they did over a year ago which was the decision to flip the farmers insurance open and the at&t pebble beach program so that Pebble right. would have the spotlight in between the dark week, in between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. I mean, that is like traditionally been a plush spot, usually for the event at Torrey Pines, uh, especially going back to the days when Tiger Woods was in his prime and he was winning every year. And that would be like sort of the start of golf. season. everyone kind of has their own start of golf season. You know, those of us who are very much entrenched in the game would say Kapalua, you know, it starts when, when they start. Other people say, well, it doesn't start till the spring when I see the Masters. But for a lot of people out there, it would start the week. Okay, I've got no football on TV. What can I watch on Sunday afternoon? They cleared the schedule of Torrey Pines so that they could have the best of the best on the PGA Tour playing at Pebble. And then this happens. I mean, it's just really unfortunate luck for them. I know there's a, a big give and take having the celebs, essentially only a handful of celebs in the field this year, none of the celebs and the, and the amateurs playing on the weekend, which sort of got mixed reviews, at least from the people on site who were involved in this. 
uh, the players and the fans and the the locals who are going to the tournament. I think a lot of them. I think a lot of them like it. I think the majority of the golf audience is watching on TV and probably doesn't like it as much yeah. as those who are on hand. And I, I think that's actually something I got into the other day, which we can get into if you want to. But I, I think the PGA Tour needs to, and really all professional golf needs to start prioritizing the 99.9% majority that views professional golf just through a box in their living room or just through a screen on their phone and doesn't attend the events. And I think that there are too many executives, officials, players, tournament directors who are so into the game and there week, week in, week out, and don't sort of understand that the majority of the people who are consuming your product on a weekly basis aren't there and are never going to be there. And so I think they have to start prioritizing what it looks like on TV, what it looks like streaming for the masses. Anyway, I'm going off on a little tangent there. But yes, this was, I mean, if we're going to count things in wins and losses, the weather was a big loss for the PGA Tour. I thought Saturday was great. Wyndham Clark shoots 60. A lot of excitement out there. A, a, a leaderboard of, if not the biggest names, at least some exciting young names. Um, then Sunday was hey, let's clear out for Liv, which is the last thing the PGA Tour ever wanted to do. And Liv actually had a pretty good event. Joaquin Neiman wins in four holes. They got lights from the scoreboard lighting up the last green, and he beats Sergio Garcia. So that that was what I was going to ask you next, is your first Sunday free uh, from PGA Tour golf. I mean, it's we're not going to get too many of these in the future. I know football's ending, but this felt like, obviously – Liv could not drawn up this situation any better. So you have no PGA Tour golf to worry about anymore on Sunday. How much of how much of Liv did you get an opportunity to take in of that final round at Mayakoba? I, I had some other things going on. I mean, I would have watched the entire PGA Tour final round quite right. honestly on Sunday just because I had some some family stuff, hung out with friends a little bit, just had some other things. But I, I did watch the end of Liv. I love the fact that I'm going to have to go back and preface what I'm about to say. Uh, uh, afterwards, but I love the fact that at least we're starting to talk about live a little bit in terms of the golf, right? Because that's Agreed. the one thing that's gotten me over the last two years that, all right, so we've got live and everyone's kind of up and oh, I, I like the PGA tour. I like live. I think this is better. I think that's better. No, one's actually like watching the golf, even the, uh, the live bot quote unquote, Twitter accounts who are out there. Like they never even tweet about live, the golf. Live. They just tweet about no. like the official world golf rankings and how angry they are. The one question I always want to ask them is like, you know, Hey, what do you think of Louis Ustase in, in Thailand last year? Like something, you know, something about the golf that I guarantee they're, they're not actually watching, but I like to look, I love professional golf. This is what I do. I've been doing this for uh, 20 years now and I love the game and I'd love to watch some of the best players without feeling like I'm not supposed to be watching them. And so I want to preface all of this for those who haven't listened to what I've done over the last two, two and a half years. That it, yes, there there is more to it than this. There There is a lot of tumultuousness in the game right now, so much divisiveness in the game. And I, I went on a little rant on my PGA Tour radio show today saying that, look, the guys on live, not just this week, but Altogether, they're winners. They're, they're winners because they got the bag. You know, those guys mm -hmm. chose to play professional golf for a living. They worked hard at it. And someone has given them uh, an eight or nine figure salary where they are just 
raking it in and making lots and lots of money to play golf and playing fewer events than they were previously. They win. The guys on the PGA Tour, they win because the trickle-down effect, the PGA Tour is paying them more. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but everyone's everyone's getting richer. Everyone's getting fatter. Everyone's getting more points. Everyone's feeling better about everything, except for the fans. And I can't tell you how many fans out there that I know, guys I play golf with on a regular basis are like, I don't know. I kind of like some of the guys on the tour. I kind of like some of the guys on live. I don't really know who's where. And so I'm just not going to watch any of it. And it's turning people off. The greed, the arrogance in the game right now at the highest level is turning people away from the game to the point where they're going to tune in for the major championships and they're just not going to care about anything else. And I get the sense that whether it's the the Rory's and Jordan Spieth's, whether it's the John Rahm's and Phil Mickelson's on the other side, whether it's Jay Monahan, whether it's Greg Norman, I, I get the sense that they either don't realize it, don't understand it, or just don't care. And I'm not even sure which one is worse. I, I agree with you on, on a lot of that. I think that, because I caught a little bit of it myself, not just on Sunday. I didn't, to be honest with you, I actually didn't, watch much on Sunday. I kind of had it on a second screen though, for the first two days at Pebble beach. And I'm like you, I, I, I was actually fairly excited to see John Rom on live for the first time, not just because he's a historically great player. I mean, he has the opportunity. What does legacy mean anymore in a fractured golf world? But I mean, I'm a bit of a golf history nerd. And like, we're talking about a guy that has the opportunity to go down as one of the 12 to 15 best golfers of all time. I'm fascinated to see what this move to a breakaway league completely devoid of context does to one of the greatest golfers of all time. Right. And I think the issue that I had a little bit with live was the context issue right now. The the main major difference for me between PGA Tour and Live is I can get and I'm curious on your thoughts of this as well because I know you're uh you're big into the gambling space as well and have been in this PGA Tour gambling space golf gambling space far longer than I have. On the PGA Tour, I cover it because I have actionable info on it, right? And so my job for Odds Checker and Rumpier Sports and Golf Digest is to, and this podcast is to give out information, give out my plays, talk to people in the discord about gambling. And the only reason why I feel comfortable and confident doing that, Jason, is because I am good at interpreting strokes gain data. I know how I know all of these PGA tour courses, because now I have years of breaking them down. I have data on these courses. I have experience on these courses. And so that's what I cover. That's what Golf Digest pays me to cover. That's what my po- I get paid on my podcast to talk about. That's what I do for Run Pure Sports. That's what you do. That's what you do. The majority of your content for Action Network too. Now, it's not that the competition for me necessarily is worse on Live. Now they're amazing players on Live. It's not even that there's music necessarily in the background. Like I could get over that. It's not. The broadcast, some of it's a little hokey and weird, but I know where you're going. I I can get over I I can get over all that stuff too. The problem is is that I I still have no concept or ability of where all of the demographic that I feel like they should be playing to, right? Like the 20, 30-year-olds with disposable income, the barstool crowd, like all those people that 
love golf, love betting on golf, love playing daily fantasy. I've been so confused and I'm sure there's smart people in the live room that would give me a ton of rebuttals of why it hasn't been possible, but I've been so confused about this resistance of investment in shot tracker. I've been so confused about this resistance of investment in leaning super hard into gambling in the broadcast that feels like so much of a part of their brand. And so I'm left sitting there with like, yeah, I can appreciate this on a second screen. Like I enjoy watching John Rom hit golf shots, but I'm going to have a hard time really taking this thing seriously in my line of work from a coverage standpoint until I have a little bit more actionable info that I could you know, provide to people that follow me for my info. So yes, 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 yes. And yes. Okay. Uh, I had a conversation recently with a couple of uh, live executives, not Greg Norman, not Yasser, but you know, guys that you probably wouldn't even know if I said their names, but um, I, I gave them the unsolicited suggestion that you need to get the betting community involved here. Yes. You need to, People make the PGA tour is it took them 50 years to figure this out, but they've right. figured out in the last couple of years that when somebody makes an investment in your product, all of a sudden they remain engaged for the rest of the week. Whether you're putting five dollars on a long shot to win, whether you're you know betting uh two hundred thousand dollars in a weekend, like once you have that personal investment, you are going to pay more attention to the product. I told these executives until you have the data and analytics and information that we as gamblers need, we are not going to invest in the product. And so we won't be as engaged as we need to be in it as you want us to be. They seem to understand that. I've gone as far as to say and suggest that essentially anything that people don't necessarily like about the PGA Tour, Liv should be doing the opposite of that. You, you yeah. think the PGA Tour plays too slow? Liv should have a shot clock. You think the PGA Tour should have a match play event that they got rid of last year? The day after the match play, it was announced that the match play wouldn't be on the schedule anymore. If I was a live executive, I would have sent out a press release saying, we're having a match play event. We don't know when or where yet. We'll figure it out later. But we're going to do anything that we think they're doing wrong, and we're going to do the other side of that. And so part of that is I've suggested to them, not only do you lean in on gambling and try to get the gambling and betting community involved and invested. But I've gone as far as to say, hey, if you're going to have a shotgun start after the first six holes, I want to interview players for five or 10 minutes, tell them their odds, maybe give them a stipend where they're betting against each other. I mean, let's, if we're going to do this, let's go all in and do I, this. Now, I completely it, agree. Just to, just to add one more thing. I've been yeah. saying this for a long time. They should be doing this with the golf courses that they go to, right? Like half, how many golf courses on the PGA tour have no personality, right? Like, why aren't they going to tobacco road and Wolf Creek well, and like tricking these golf courses up to a thousand? That's a little different because the courses don't necessarily want they're They're paying money to get to the courses. True. If you, if, if you follow the money here, I believe live has made a sizable investment in some, uh, in, in the ownership of some of these courses, which is how they're getting to play some of those golf courses. So there, there's there's some behind the scenes stuff that's, 
I, I think more sensible than just us as fans going, Hey, why don't you go play band and dunes? That seems awesome. <laughs> That'd be really fun to watch on TV. Go to Pine Valley. That'd be really cool. Like, yes, it would be cool. But I, I think if you kind of follow where the paper trail is going here, uh, you'd probably understand why uh, and when they're, they're going to certain places, but yeah, uh, lean into that stuff, do different things, think outside the box. And for me right now, they're not doing nearly enough of that. They they have created a golf league that, all right, so it's 54 holes instead of 72, and they wear shorts instead of pants, but it's not as different as it needs to be. If you're going to be different than the PGA Tour and say, we're younger, we're cooler, we're quote-unquote louder than the PGA Tour, whatever that means, uh, then go be louder. Go go buy into that brand and go be that. Um, I have said, Andy, that, I, I'm okay with music. I'm okay with shotgun. So I actually think the shotgun starts kind of cool for the first two days. I would love to see it right. like, all right, Sunday or Saturday, whatever the final round is going to be. All right, now let's get serious. We're going to turn the music off. We're going to put you in tea times and we're going to play like this. Like it's a serious final round. Um, but you want to have a member guest for the first two days. I'm all in. I, I had a really good friend uh, who went with a couple of his coworkers to Mayakoba last week. They played in the Pro-Am. They had dinner with the Majestics. They hung out for the week, and they're like, it was awesome. We had a great time. I do think that there's something to be said about that being perhaps a better on-site product than the PGA Tour right now, um, whereas you know, if you're a PGA Tour fan, you get a ticket, you walk around, you have a couple of drinks, you have a hot dog, and you're like, cool, I watched a lot of good players. I don't know that you're necessarily getting the, the full return on investment that you're putting into it. But I don't know that the live TV product is necessarily anywhere close to what the PGA Tour is right now. And I don't know if the the overall like branding of it right. is there yet. If I were them, I'd go like, hey, we're the renegades of golf. Let's go be renegade. Let's go figure out some different stuff to do. Last question on this, but you got me thinking. Mm -hmm. And then I promise we'll get to Phoenix in a second. But do you think, because you do a lot of this too, do you think that if live did get a lot, uh, maybe they, maybe this is a, looks like a partnership with DraftKings, right? Or they start doing more daily fantasy contests, or they do some sort of partnership with a bigger sports book, lean more into gambling, do the type of thing that we have been begging and asking for them to do in the gambling community. Do you think there's a universe where like at action network, your bosses are to you like, Hey, it's John Rom this week and Tyrrell Hatton and Cameron Smith and Brooks Kepka at TPC Las Vegas. Now that we have odds on this and daily fantasy contests, and it seems like they're leaning more into gambling and say the PGA tours in Detroit this week for the rocket mortgage or John Deere headlined by Brendan Todd. Do you think that like we would cover live? Do you think that live hat would have enough momentum at that point for us to say, look, we're going to put out content where the best players are, right? And if there's a week where the best players are on live and you can gamble on it and bet on it, let's cover that. Or do you still think the wall that they have to climb for the average better and watcher of golf is far too great in the interim? And even if we get the hypothetical example that I just gave you of like, a live event versus a bottom rung PGA tour event, a John Deere rocket mortgage, one of those dog days of the summer event. Do you think that we're overvaluing our, our 
our reach in the gambling community or or do you think maybe there's some momentum there building so we've had these conversations internally um i do think that that's Certainly a possibility moving forward. By the way, Liv signed with U.S. Integrity just a couple of weeks ago. It would not surprise me whatsoever to see Liv with an official betting operator at some point in the not-too-distant future. I know the PGA Tour has five or six of them, which has been a bit of a messy situation. And a lot of the questions we ask about, why don't they do this and why don't they do that? Some of that stems from having too many cooks in the kitchen there. And so I wonder if one or two of those is not an official betting operator. Uh, before too long and maybe says, hey, we like golf, though. We want to be involved and we want to make the investment in this space. And maybe they make a partnership with Live. I personally, I've always believed that we live in a business of supply and demand. And this is the this is the answer that I used to give when 15 years ago, 90% of the content was about Tiger Woods. And everyone would go, why are you guys writing so much about Tiger? And I'd say, well, here's the list of the 50 highest traffic stories that we wrote last year and 48 of them are Tiger Woods related. (laughs) That's why you guys read the Tiger content. So we will keep producing the Tiger content. For me, it's about, uh, look, if tomorrow it came out that there are 50% more tickets on Live Las Vegas this week than there are for the WM Phoenix Open, I would go, all right, well, we've got to probably change our strategy and, and reverse the trend a little bit. but. It hasn't happened yet. Until it does happen, I'm going to put my supply where the demand is. And if the demand's for the PGA Tour over Live, I'm going to write more on the PGA Tour. If that changes, I'm not going to say, nope, I like the PGA Tour. I'm loyal. I'm pledging my fealty to the PGA Tour. And I'm not going to write about Live. No, I'm going to go, well, okay, now the demand is for Live. I will supply that content. I agree with you completely. And I'm so curious to be honest too. Like, I I think it's such a fool's errand guessing at this point where it's going to go. But I think for the first time, just perusing through Twitter on Sunday, it seemed like Liv had everybody's attention. It seemed like they had the center stage. And I I'm so curious to see if they're able to parlay this into, you know, they're playing again, this week in Las Vegas, going head to head with, see my transition here, going head to head with probably the most distinctive like personality event on the PGA tour. Would you say, I mean, you've gone to Phoenix way more. I've never been to this event before, but when I think of like, what are the events on the PGA tour that have an identity? Probably Phoenix is the number one that comes up in my mind. No doubt. No doubt. First of all, by the way, just to go back just a second, would you like me to fix golf for you in about 30 seconds? <laughs> Please. I, I, I can, this is easy, quite honestly. I mean, tell me why this doesn't work. All right, PGA Tour, you get January through August. Your season ends in August. Live, you get September through December. If there are PGA Tour players who would like to play on Live, they can sign them to play on Live, or they can choose to take four months off and stay home. If live players would like to play on the PGA Tour, they're more than welcome to. You can play between January and August, but if you're like, man, I just got $60 million, I'm cool. You can take the first eight months of the year off and just play your live events. Tell me how that doesn't work for everybody involved. Okay, one question. Under this new golf ecosystem, do Uh, live players get official world golf ranking points? Sure, why not? I Here, you know what? (laughs) The greatest, 
the, the reason the, the reason why I the reason why that was the first thing that came to mind is because I'm trying to think in my mind what players would do and and so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to conceptualize like if Liv was paying more money and had a chiller schedule that isn't built around because I assume the major schedule is the same under this new golf ecosystem then what's the incentive to play on the PGA tour? I don't know. Maybe you just yeah. like your favorite golf course is Riv and you really miss yeah. playing there and you're Brooks Kepka and you're like, I'm not going to sit home for eight months. I want to go play golf. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's certainly part of it. I was going to make a point here. Uh, now I lost my train of thought. I was going to say, <laughs> I lost it. It was going to be good though. Uh, <laughs> we can come back to it. Let me know. Uh, let me know if you if you. Oh, about it. okay. You I got, got it. it. I got it. We can, we can edit right. If not, everyone's listening to us think here on the pod. <laughs> but uh, the the best thing about the world ranking points that I heard was about 15, 16 months ago during the RSM Classic at the end of twenty two. We had Davis Love the Third, who was of course the host of the RSM, had him on our radio show, and this is like sort of at the height of all the official world golf ranking talk. And I mean, we're getting callers lighting up the phone lines like, yeah, they should get ranking points because they're playing golf. And no, they left. They knew what they were in for. And still, I mean, today we still have the same conversation after Joaquin Neiman said yesterday, his first words after winning, well, I'm still not in the majors because he doesn't have the world ranking points. Davis Love the third came on with us and we said, all right, hot topic. Everyone's talking about these ranking points. What do you think? Should they get them? Should they not? Should they get... You know, should they be redistributed? Should they be, you know, just partial points? What should it be? And he goes, oh, I would just don't get rid of the world ranking. And it was like, <clears throat> like just mind blown. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Why are we ranking things like that? Why care? Who cares if, you know, if John Rahm is number three in the world or number six in the world, we know he's really, really good. It doesn't matter how we rank him. As far as qualifications for the majors, well, just let them PGA all decide, right? Like they should all be anyway. their own. Yeah, they should all be their own governing bodies, and just let the majors decide. If the majors want to say no to live, then make let the majors do that. If the PGA wants to handle it differently than the, they're all their own governing bodies, right? And that's the only use for the official World Golf ranking is qualifying for majors. The Masters is literally an invitational. They can invite me and you to play in it if they'd like to. I, I am an advocate for, uh, and we've seen it in the past. One, they always have one, two, maybe three sponsor exemptions, or I guess tournament exemptions for the major championships. Tiger this year uh, is not qualified for the U.S. Open. I have a feeling the USGA might give him an exemption to go play at Pinehurst if he wants to. Why not expand that to 15 exemptions for each major championship? And then you can let in the Joaquin Neemans. And, you know, if you want to give like, okay, Lee Westwood once played well at this course, we'll, we'll give him one. Some of the other live players, maybe you identify some young talent overseas. You say, hey, there's, there's an 18 year old. We're going to introduce him to the world this week by letting him play in the open championship, whatever it might be have a different qualification process and leave yourself open to, to making those decisions yourself. Whether you're Augusta or the USGA, the RNA, the PGA of America, you can make those decisions on your own and say, look, this guy's really good. He's ranked 60th in the world, but he should be top 20 because he's playing here. We want him in our tournament because we want the best possible field that we can get. And I, I just think that would be, make so much sense. 
And the first one to do it would endear themselves to the entire golf industry and all the golf fans out there because they understand that it would make sense. I think so too. I I, I honestly, when you said that, I, I thought when you first said Davis Love, I thought you were going to go into, because he's been very, very anti-live in the past, mm-hmm. but it, it does, I, I do think about it a lot about like, we've actually surpassed in the data community the relevance of the official world golf rankings anyway with data golf, right? Like you can, that's a way better measurement of who the best golfers in the world are anyway. So, you know, I, there, there's so many sports that do this too, where I not a, a massive tennis guy. So I don't, I don't want to butcher this and get this incorrectly, but there's no like overall governing body over Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open, are, are, are all the tennis majors just in charge of how players get into each of the tennis majors? Or so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that's a whole other rabbit. Yeah, it's a whole other yeah. rabbit. Effort. Let's so, I mean, let's get back if, to Phoenix. If if Andy, if they said tomorrow that we're not going to have an AP ranking for college hoops anymore, I yeah. think a lot of people go like, "Wait, but is is UConn or Purdue number one? Is UNC up there? Are they in the top five? You go. How are we going to figure it out? Well, we're going to have this big tournament at the end of the season, right. and whoever wins, that seems like they would be the number one team. Just, I, I feel like it's, it's almost like a collective impatience from the public to be like, I want to know who's where. I want to rank things. Who cares? I care where things are ranked. I don't know. I, I, I see stuff on my phone all the time, like the, you know, the hundred best albums of all time. And I'm like, you know what? If you have my favorite album at 63rd, it doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means I have a different uh, a different viewpoint than you. And so I, I feel the same way about this. I might think John Rahm's the best player in the world right now, but he's not ranked number one. Am I wrong? No, not necessarily. It just means the algorithm's not in my favor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk about Phoenix, my friend. Let's All get right. on to let's get on to a uh let's get on to pro- probably a golf course that uh you know a lot more intimately than I do. You've been going to this event. How many times have you been to Phoenix? I would say I've covered this event 15 of the last 20 years. <sighs> okay, so real quick big picture on the golf course and the tournament uh before we get in get into the odds board. But when you think about this golf course. Over the years, the things that you've seen, the things that you've observed, obviously there is 
a different atmospheric element to this tournament. I was thinking about, I was thinking about it this morning and it's like, why is this the one golf course, the one tournament on the PGA tour outside of the majors that Brooks Kepka has really had success at. And you can find the quotes and he talks about like, I actually feel engaged. Like sometimes I find myself spacing out playing a regular PGA tour setup without a ton of fans. And it doesn't, it doesn't suck me in and have that energy that maybe a major championship does. And Phoenix, while not entirely synonymous with that, it captures some of that energy in its own way. Right. And I think maybe that's why you see somebody like, why has Justin Thomas been so good in Phoenix? Does he fit the course? Of course he fits the course, but like watch Justin Thomas in a Ryder cup. Like that's the type of stuff that gets him up here. So I, I think we have a fun it's a fun week in the gambling community because a, we could break down the golf course till we're blue in the face, but then there's also this like unquantifiable narrative of who is the guy that you could see walking down the 16th hole, taking his shirt off while everyone's chugging beers, you know, coming through in the clutch on Sunday afternoon. It's the players that are calm and confident and maybe even a little cocky playing in front of big crowds. It's guys who traditionally love team sports who are like, man, I would have loved to be an NFL or an NBA player in that arena with fans screaming my name and yelling against me and booing me. Like it's the guys who thrive in that environment. Now you go back and look at the list. Brooks Kepka certainly fits that bill. Justin Thomas still hasn't won, but that's going to happen in a few days possibly. And he's played really well at this uh, golf tournament in the past, uh, seven finishes of 17th or better in nine starts. Ricky Fowler uh, ate it up when they were all yeah. five years ago chanting Big Dick Rick when he was coming down the stretch, <laughs> and he absolutely loved it. I have absolutely no explanation for Webb Simpson and how that happened over Tony Finau because Tony embodies everything that you would think a right. Phoenix Open type of player is, and Webb Simpson is the exact opposite. All I can think of is that uh, perhaps everyone else went to too many late-night concerts of the bird's nest that week and the only guys left were uh webb and tony scotty scheffler is just i don't know if scotty's an outlier he's just he's just really good and he's gonna win at a place that suits yeah. his game so i don't know if scotty's necessarily a show him off guy but phil for years played really well in yes. this one uh yeah jb holmes going back and won twice he's a guy I like to show off big long ball hitter back in the day so yeah i i'm looking at guys that have a little swagger this week guys that you know like showing off and at the top of the list, you've made many allusions to Justin. I'm so I here's here was my I will walk you through my brief thought process on Justin Please. Thomas, and and hopefully you are able to make me feel a little bit better about this. So Xander Shoffley withdraws this morning, and I hadn't I had a couple bets down in the sixty you know sixty plus range, some long shots. I saw these, okay, these odds on JT and Homa and Spieth and all of these guys, they're going to crater. Let me walk in the best that I can have right now on Justin Thomas, which at the time was 11. So I kind of, I liked Justin Thomas a lot, certainly more than I liked Homa, Burns, Spieth. He was my favorite of those, even though, you know, you're kind of playing top of market. You weren't really getting the number you would hope for still on, on, on Justin Thomas at this point, even though he has been playing excellent golf this year. So I kind of panicked back locked in Justin Thomas at 11 to one. Um, and I feel good about that. Other than the fact that I wish it was maybe a 14 or, or a 16 still sure. my only concern 
Jason, is that I was looking at the uh, weather this week, and it seems like Orlando has got, or sorry, you're in Orlando, Scottsdale has gotten a ton of uncharacteristically far more rain than it has in the past. It's going to be a softer, uh, more receptive golf course. And I think that is going to make this play more so like an Amex than a firm and fast baked out TPC Scottsdale that I would have seen Scotty Scheffler and JT having their most extreme advantage on. And what's the biggest concern with JT right now is it's always going to be the putter. So I don't want as a JT ticket holder, I don't want more receptive greens. Like I don't want more putting variants. I don't want a higher greens and regulation percentage. So I'm with you on JT, but that's my only concern is do we get a more receptive golf course that brings less good ball strikers back into play this week. I, I get that. I think this course drains really, really well. Good. And I'm already feeling better. Some rain. Yeah. It's supposed to get some rain a little bit more later in the week, but this was not like pebble beach rain. Like we got last week. It's, mm. it's in the desert. It's not going to pour. I, I would be very surprised if it's like soggy wet, you know, right. like they're, they have to play ball in hand one day or something like that. I just, I don't see that happening this week. In fact, I'm not sure that, like I said, I've been there 15 times probably. I'm not sure that I even remember it ever having a drop of rain out there. It gets a little cool in the mornings, cool at nights. That's about the only weather you get really coming in. might get a beer shower every once in a while, and that's the only precipitation coming out of the sky. But Well, uh, you got the – I went back and and looked. just wanted to – because I don't know if you were there this year and remember this, but if you remember – this is why I got concerned about it. If you remember the 2013 Phil 28 under year, that was the last year that the golf course was softer. Is that the year Phil opened up with uh, essentially 59 and a half? He lipped out. Yeah. Um, and he was, and, and, and he shot 28 under that year on a softer golf yeah. course. And then every single year in the past decade, it's been between 14 and 19 under par. So right. the only thing I'm concerned about, Jason, is are we due potentially for a 28 under year, which makes me a little bit, can JT's putter keep up under under that? I, I, I totally understand that. He was he was the first guy that I looked at, even before the odds. I, I guess the odds have been out for a little bit just because of me the too. draftings yeah. deal with, uh, with the tour. But he was the first name that I was thinking, like, JT always plays well there. The convergence that we always talk about, recent form, course history, he's got everything. Uh, look, real talk, and I don't know if this is the right way to play it, the wrong way to play it. I'm sure people are listening like, oh, Sobley, you're an idiot. You know, uh, I've got two different books, and one of my books, I'm well up in that book, and the account's looking nice. And so I bet JT at plus 1050 in that book thinking, all right, you know what? I can afford to like put a decent number on JT this week mm-hmm. and not need that huge ROI coming back. The other book, not as good in that one. Let's let's try to play the the longer shots in that one. I'm not necessarily going, you know, all the way to the bottom of the list this week, but there's some guys that I like starting at 30, 40 to one that I will play moving down the list a little bit and, I, and I'll save it for that one. Again, is that the right way to do it? Is that the wrong way to do it? I don't know. I there's one thing, you know, this is just betting theory, not necessarily about this week, but if you go by a driver, Andy, you're most likely, I hope, you're not just going to go into a golfer's warehouse type place, grab one off the rack, uh, looks pretty good, and walk out the store after you buy it. 
you're going to go get fitted for it. You're going to figure out the right shaft. You're going to figure out exactly which club fits you, the one that you're going to hit the best. I feel like in our industry, it's time for customization for betters. Because I think that too often, you and I and everyone in the industry will do shows where we go, I like JT. And everyone goes, okay, well, you like JT. I, I feel like we have to customize this for, there, there are betters out there who say, you know what? It's not worth it for me. I, I don't bet enough. It's not worth it for me to take a guy who's 10 to one. Yeah. Cause it's not, I'm not getting as much return on that investment. So I just want to play a couple of long shots, see if I get a lottery ticket. Great. There are others who are, I, I'm betting a lot of money every week, whether it's a professional or just a guy that uh, just bets a lot. And, and says I, I don't necessarily want those long shot plays, but I want something where I'm going to get, I'm going to make a 10% profit every week and keep that train going. We should not treat those two people the same way. And I feel like too often in our industry, we do that. We just sort of lump everyone in. Hey, do you like this guy? Yep, I like him. All right, let's bet him. And I do think that there are such different types of bettors out there that we need to collectively do a better job of catering to everybody. I agree. That's why I tried to start to do more. Um, like I haven't been huge into the matchups until recently. Uh, I've always been like a top 20, top five, top top 40 guy. Actually, I think it's a pretty exploitable market too. Um, but I think it depends on the tournament, right? Like I think I've had, there's been a lot of weeks where I've struggled with, I don't know. I mean, you've been doing this longer than I have. Have you noticed like a bit of a deterioration in what seems like fair in the outright market? Like, and, and I, and, and I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. And, and what's so confusing to me is, and I, listen, maybe last week shouldn't be viewed in the same as the first couple of weeks. Cause I was lucky enough to be on Wyndham at 90 to one. I know a bunch yeah, of my same. followers followed me on that. You were on Wyndham at nine. So maybe they got hurt a little bit last week, but God, don't you think they had to make a killing? on the first month of golf and for them to drop the, you know, back in the day, it felt like if Scotty, if they're going to put Scotty at five to one, let's just start the next guy at 12, right? Like, let, can we just start him at 12? And it, it feels like they're getting away with murder on some of these, you know, even the long shots market, look at the master's market right now. You get 12 guys under 25 to one. I know that'll reset, but it's like taking the futures betting aspect completely out of it. Here's the one thing I've never understood. Why wouldn't a, maybe a smaller book, maybe a book that doesn't do the handle of a DraftKings or a FanDuel or yeah. one of those, but why Compete. wouldn't those books like, look, this is a business. I know there's there's licenses. I know they can't just kind of go off on their own, but hey, we're going to have everyone essentially like two points higher, two points longer yeah. than they are in all the other books. And if you're a golf better and you're not betting with our book, you're probably doing it wrong because you're cheating yourself. If I was consulting with some some book out there i would absolutely keep like because you're not gonna get hit i mean you're not gonna get like you'll hammered still by, probably um, win the house will still win yeah <laughs> win but now we're taking in a, a much larger market share because we've got jordan spieth at 22 to 1 instead of yeah. 20 to 1 everyone else has them at 20 if you like them you have to come to our book because our book has the best number why wouldn't you do that on a regular basis with more of the big names? I know some of them will boost odds on certain players here and there. They do things like that. But I'm talking about across the board, just having better odds than anybody else and either forcing the hands of the other books to essentially fall in line with you or forcing the hands of the betters to all just start using your service instead of everybody else's. 
It's our next business idea. Andy and Jason's just well, best golf odds, just Venmo us and we'll be in business. There we go. <laughs> Probably make more money on that side of it than the side that we're currently on. Probably. Um, um, okay. All right. We got to get out of here soon. So give me, talk to me about a couple of guys a little bit farther down the board. We both have consensus on JT at the top. Anyone 30 plus in the 30 to 100 range, give me a guy or two, maybe a couple of names that have your attention a little bit farther down the board. Absolutely. I'm clicking over to my preview that I wrote for Action Network today. Uh, ben On made a lot yeah. of sense at 50 to 1. He's gotten much shorter. He's between 30 and 40. Again, some of that is him getting bet down. Some of that is I wrote this on Sunday evening before Victor Hovland and Xander Shoffley withdrew from the golf tournament. So a lot of the numbers in my preview this week look a lot better than you can get right now. Uh, the second guy on my list that I always do it, an outright winner with shorter odds an outright winner with longer odds, just because again, it, it's that trying to cater to two different yeah. types of betters. Thomas Dietrich, 24 hours ago, you and I are taping this at uh, eight o'clock Eastern on Monday evening, 24 hours ago, you could have got Thomas Dietrich at 150 to one at DraftKings. That is a massive number for a guy who's playing some really good golf right now. It's been cut in half, but I still think that 75 to one is not a terrible number. Figala opened at 40 to one. I think he's somewhere closer to 30 right now, but I do like him. Uh, Just a couple other names real quick here of guys uh, of different kind of values here. Adam Shank is a guy that I could see playing well. Billy Horschel has a nice track record at this one. Uh, Bo Hostler is a horse that I just keep riding more on DFS and some props, but at some point he's going to win a golf tournament. Uh, Kevin Yu, we all know yeah. the, the data and analytics. Uh, Kevin Yu's a ball striking God. And so he's a guy that lives in Scottsdale, went to Arizona state. So I can see him having a really nice week as well. The, uh, the only names that I'll add, I'm with you on a lot of those. The only names that I will add is this range of like 50 to 70 in the odds boards is really fascinating to me. You already threw out Bo Hossler, but now you have guys like Eric Cole available back at 50 to one, right? How quickly we forget about Corey Connors. Who's like, this is kind of a perfect Corey Connors golf course. Like in, in terms of him, him being such an elite middle iron player and such like a accurate overall total driver of the ball, somebody that always gains strokes off the tee, but doesn't necessarily need to do it with distance. If we believe in the stickiness of course history and the fact that like six, uh, 60% of Phoenix opens over the last decade have been won by three guys, right? Like Phoenix is undeniably kind to the players that have played well in the past year. Well, you get a decade at 60 to one. I know that he's all over the place right now. I, I, I was at Torrey Pines and I saw him at Torrey Pines. I, I followed him a decent bit at Torrey Pines and the signs are there, right? Um, it's just, you're either going to, he's going to finish first or or dead last potentially. Hideki's no fly zone for me right now. Those things can change in a hurry. Uh, but I am just, I, I've got burned by Hideki too often. You and I started this podcast talking about our fantasy league from last year. I got into the final and in the final with a six man lineup, we go to the BMW championship and Hideki withdraws, I think either before the first round or middle first round. Um, and I get zero points from him. I, I know we're not supposed to, to, to take what we've gotten and take our, our losses from guys and carry them with us. But Hideki's just still on that no playlist for me. Uh, and again, that can change Corey Connors, the guy yeah. though, 
that I had as my favorite play at both Kapalua, which didn't totally suit him right. But my theory at the time was, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win something fairly big. And I think it's going to happen pretty soon. And I didn't want to be off of it when it did happen. I really liked him at the Sony where he's played well. And he didn't have the greatest week there. But I do think that Corey Connors, and I, I wrote in both of those previews those weeks and talked about it, that he's a guy that I think is going to win Maybe not a major championship, but something bigger than a Valero Texas Open in the you. very near future. And I don't want to not be on it when it happens. So, yeah, I'm probably with you on Connors. What do you think is a better bet right now? Fowler uh, Fowler or Hideki or Adam Scott? Fowler? Fowler. Fowler. What about Adam Scott? Yes. I I can't imagine. I, it's still, I, I was hanging out with my Aussie colleague, Ben Everill. Who I do a podcast with over at Action uh, mm-hmm. this whole past week, and we were talking about Adam. We ran into Adam at one point. The fact he is still out, not just playing golf, but like playing a lot of golf. Like, He's really good at five Pebble years Beach. ago. Like, yeah, I would have thought Adam Scott not only wasn't playing much golf, but like wouldn't like no press release, no like talking to reporters. Just you'd go three months and be like, wait a second. Has anyone seen Adam Scott? And like, he just kind of, <laughs> he's surfing down the Bahamas. Or like, you just wouldn't see him at all. I can't believe he's playing this much golf. He's on the policy board. He's really involved. He's going to hate it this week. I, I don't, I have not looked at his record here. I, I don't know. He might have a decent record in Phoenix, but nothing um, much, I, really. I he's played 38th here one time. Okay. Like, I can't imagine that Adam Scott is going to enjoy himself in Phoenix. This is the opposite of everything that Adam Scott likes in the world. And so, uh, he's not going to have a good week. Ricky Fowler, I know he's not playing well right now, but Ricky sort of puffs out his chest every time he steps on TBC Scottsdale and starts playing better golf. Yeah, I feel like um, Akshay too in this range at seventy to one. Yes. Are you are you a long term buyer on Akshay? Very much so. Spoke with a few players the other day who were raving about his ability to work the ball both ways. Yeah, they said like like nobody else. Um, you know, it doesn't mean he's the best ball striker. doesn't mean he's going to win more than anybody else, but it was like, Hey, if you got, you know, you want to hit a cut on one hole and cut it 30 yards and the next hole you want to draw it 30 yards. Nobody can pull that off the way Akshay is doing it right now. A lot of the older players are like super impressed with the way Akshay is hitting the ball. So yes, he's a guy that's certainly on my list. Interesting. All right, Jason, anyone else you want to throw out before we get out of here? I know you've already been incredibly generous with your time. Any any other names we didn't mention that you think deserve a shout before we uh, we get out of here? Let's see. I'll give you three more here, one from each tier. I always go top tier, middle tier, bottom tier. Top tier, uh, Sunjay M is going to pop at some point. It kind of fell out. Like he missed the cut at Tory, but he like missed it on the number yeah. and – yeah, I didn't play great last week, but Sunjay is going to do something really good. I still don't think we quite understand just how good Sunjay is. And I've got him for a top five in my column this week. Uh, for that mid-tier, Taylor Montgomery's guy I talked to a decent amount uh, during the offseason, working very hard on his game. The irons are starting to get dialed in. We know how yeah. good of a putter he is. Now the irons are there, I think, Montgomery. And then have you looked at the numbers from Nick Hardy recently? The results aren't sure really half. there. But the yeah, I'm a huge are... Nick Hardy guy. I love Nick Hardy. Yeah. Ah, I still think Nick's a little... What's what's the word? I I feel like Nick's a little... Oh, what's... 
I don't want to say not confident, but I need him to be a guy that's like, yeah, man, I got this thing. That's like, fair. I could like, see that because I, I was at Tory, um, and I, I got to do it for golf digest. So I was up there really close with him. Like on Saturday when nobody else was following the Nick Hardy group. And mm-hmm. because he was a very crucial piece in in a DraftKings lineup that had a real shot at one point. And so I I watched about seven holes following Nick Hardy really closely. And, you know, he was playing actually in that group with Taylor Montgomery. I think that I want to say the third player was Luke Lest. But what stood out to me was, I don't know if this is going to make sense. If you just are like an alien just being dropped down on Torrey Pines and you just watch Nick Hardy hit the ball, you would think, oh my God, this guy is the best at golf. And then you check the scorecard at the end of the day and it's like, how is Taylor Montgomery beating him by like four strokes right now? And so it was kind of that experience of like, I test Hardy looks so much better than a player like Taylor Montgomery. But one player just gets the ball in the hole. And I don't know if Hardy has that get the ball in the hole yet the way that a player like Montgomery does. When I just watch them back uh, close up together. I, I think it'll come for him. And yeah. remember, this he's in a trajectory that is the normal trajectory for a PGA Tour player. Like, okay, make it through the Corn Ferry Tour. You're a good college player. Make it through. Get your card. Just kind of hold on to your card as a rookie. Start doing better things. I know he he won the Zurich alongside Davis Riley last year. That gives him an exemption for a few years that's massive. He doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. But the outliers are the guys like Rory and Jordan and Morikawa yeah. and Oberg who uh, win right away and show that they can be world-class players. The other guy, I mean, I, I look at Nick Hardy very much like I looked at a Wyndham Clark. Like I'm looking at a Bo Hossler is taking a little bit longer right now, but give it those three to four to five years of, okay, continue getting better. Almost uh, a perfect example of it confident. too. Yeah. And, and yeah. you kind of get there. That's, this is what golf used to be. I mean, this is what, you know, other than Tiger, who's the greatest outlier ever and Phil, but like, that's what you know, you'd, you'd sort of get on tour. You weren't expected to go out and win anything as a rookie. Right. You just kind of keep your card. You keep plugging away, you keep grinding and, Year three, year four, year five, it starts coming together for you. So I always like identifying those types of players that have been out for a few years and are about to reach that next level. It's so true because guys like Morikawa and Spieth um, and Rory, I guess as well, have completely broken the mold. But like, I don't think Phil won a major until he was 30, right? I don't think DJ won a major until he was 30, right? And then you see somebody like Max Homa who has this really odd trajectory where he's pretty highly touted coming out of Cal, then goes through a huge downstretch. And then at 33 years old, turns into a top 12 player in the world. Yeah. I mean, look at, you know, one of the guys I like a lot this week, Benny on, I went back and found it because I I knew he won the US amateur, won the amateur at a very young age. That was 15 years ago. I know. I, I mean, like it just happens at different intervals for different players. He's now 32 years old and we might be on the verge of, Benny on being one of the better players on the PGA tour certainly wouldn't surprise anybody, but right. sometimes it just takes a long time. Sometimes it just, it, it just doesn't click for a while. All right, Jason, this has been a blast, man. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll do it again. A bunch more in the future. Give the listeners, what do you got to plug this week? I know you mentioned your article with action network is already out, but what else you got going on this week? 
Yeah. Got stuff all over Action Network, actionnetwork.com and the app there. But uh, you can catch my radio show, PGA Tour Radio, Series XM, Channel 92 with uh, Michael Collins every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, called Hitting the Green, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Awesome. It was a pleasure as always. Enjoy the golf this week. Enjoy the Super Bowl and we'll do it again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. All right. That is it for the podcast. We'll be back next week talking about my favorite non-major tournament of the year, the best non-major Riviera for the, uh, for the Genesis. I think Tiger's back. All my friends will be in town. I will be there on site. So we will have a big Sunday episode breaking down all of my thoughts about Riviera, a golf course I know very well. Uh, until then, if you want to get more of my content, you can head on over to rumpiersports.com, promo code Andy. Best of luck with your bets this weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world steel rims crack and the dead shed the back roads stop.